the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We've got a full show today, a full 90 minutes. No Red Sox baseball today. Final off day of the regular season for the Sox. Hard to believe we are inside now the final week of the regular season. As it stands right now, after getting swept by the Yankees, the Sox are a game back in the wild card chase with six to go. They are still in playoff position as we sit, but uh, again, they are in wild card position number two. We'll get into all of that. We'll talk about the Sox disaster. We'll talk about the Patriots disaster. I'll tell you about my own personal golf disaster. We'll do that a little bit later as well. So we've got a full show today. Jay Alter from ESPN Radio will be with us at 545. He was in Foxborough yesterday on the call of Patriots and Saints. As always, you can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Again, 802-585-3026. 90 minutes in this show. We're already down to 89. I got too much to say. Let's go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Let's start here. The things we used to say about the Patriots, we can't say anymore. During the Patriots dynasty, for the better part of, I would say, at least a decade, but probably closer to 15, 17 years, we had things that were just assumed about the Patriots. We assumed, going into every game, the Pats would not beat themselves. We assumed they'd always be more buttoned up than their opponent. We assumed they'd always win at home, and we assumed that they'd do the magical double points thing where they'd get the ball at the end of the first half and score, and then they get the ball to start the second half, and they'd score. We had all of these things that we assumed. We used to say all of these things as if they were fact and if they were guaranteed to happen. Well, now we shouldn't be saying any of them. The rules have changed. These Patriots have changed. They are a very clearly a different team. The old rules don't apply. And I love that Patriots leader and longtime veteran Devin McCourty acknowledged that after the game yesterday. It's coming down to the point in the season, like, you got to do it. We talk about a lot of different things each week. We kind of live off of what the Patriots have done in the past and fast starts and all of that. Um, but for this team, we got to go do those things. And, you know, we got to we gotta stop talking about it and getting it done. The Patriots got beat yesterday 28-13 to by a Saints team that isn't as good as them. It's one thing to lose to teams on your schedule who are just better than you. Like, if the Patriots lose to Cleveland, I wouldn't have batted an eye at it. If the Patriots lose to the Chargers, I I don't know that I would bat an eye at that. It's one thing to lose to teams who are just flat-out better than you. 
But to get beat by this Saints team, this version of the Saints, with no Drew Brees, with no Michael Thomas, that is bad. That is embarrassing. This Saints team has yet to play a home game. They've been on the road for the entirety of the season because of Hurricane Ida. They're missing multiple starting offensive linemen, a new quarterback this year, and they just came to your home and put you at under 500 and made you winless at home. The Patriots are 0-2. It was embarrassing that they lost, and it's embarrassing how they lost. Okay, These are the Patriots who for 15, 20 years we have assumed would never beat themselves. We all, I, I've, done, I've done radio in this market for five years, and before every Patriots game, we can go into it, or we could have gone into it, with this phrase on the top of mind, always, hey, the you better beat them because the Pats aren't going to beat themselves. We can't say that anymore. Those same Patriots who we don't think will ever beat themselves lost the turnover battle yesterday, glaringly. Those same Patriots who we assume will never beat themselves had a punt blocked, kicked a kickoff out of bounds, were set to go for it on fourth and one, and then false started themselves into fourth and six. Those same Patriots who we never think will beat themselves dropped several passes, including one that turned into a pick six that directly cost you points to start the second half. They couldn't get off the field on several key third downs, third and sevens, third and tens. And once again, they allowed their quarterback to get killed. The, 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 the Saints did some things well yesterday. But by and large, the Patriots, who we don't ever think will cause their own demise, they caused their own demise yesterday. The old rules no longer apply. Throw them out. Whatever you thought about the Patriots, you can't assume anymore. Nothing is to be assumed at this point. There will be better days than this. There will be more fun and upbeat Monday shows than this. The Patriots will grow. Their schedule will allow them to grow and get better. But my goodness, yesterday was ugly. To lose 28-13 at home to that team playing under those circumstances, that is just demoralizing. 802-585-3026. How are you feeling about the Patriots? What did you see from yesterday? Am I being too harsh on them? Do you feel better about this team than I do? Do you feel worse about this team than I do? Don't think for one second that this can't get uglier. Because it can. Much uglier. With Tom Brady coming to town next week in week four and the most hyped football game regular season of my life, it absolutely can get uglier. We know on paper, just man-to-man, the Buccaneers are better than the Patriots. On paper, the Bucs are already better. And you know how much Tom Brady's teammates are going to want this game for him. You know how much Tom Brady is going to want this game for him. And given all of that adrenaline, all that motivation, the fact that Tampa is now coming off a loss themselves, it all the ingredients are here for this to be a disaster for the Patriots. This could get embarrassing. And I tell you this, the one thing the Patriots and their and Pat's nation can't afford in week four 
is for that game to be embarrassing. It's one thing if the Pats lose to the Bucks. It's another thing if they lose, but they show some growth, they play hard, they keep it interesting, and they ultimately lose 35-27. to 27. That's one thing. But if this game goes 40-10, to 10, and you are completely whitewashed at home by Tom Brady, that is the worst possible scenario for this team and for this organization. And for Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, a loss like that would be catastrophic. For anybody who had a hand in letting Tom Brady walk out the door after the 2019 season, if he comes here and embarrasses you in week four, that will be catastrophic. And if you play against Tampa like you did yesterday against the Saints, you are setting yourself up for that kind of catastrophe. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Rick in Moortown. Brady, what part of yesterday's game surprised you most? I'm surprised the Pats couldn't take advantage of Jameis Winston. I told you, I thought the key to this game, I thought the main plan was try to get pressure on Winston and force him into Jameis Winston type decisions and win the turnover battle that and win the turnover battle that way. There were several plays yesterday where Jameis Winston made a play like Tampa Jameis would make. He tried to give you the ball. He tried to Jameis Winston this game, and you weren't able to take advantage of it. The touchdown pass he threw falling from his backside to Callaway in the first half was a horrific jump ball. He got away with it. I'm shocked the Patriots weren't able to capitalize on a decision like that, and they just weren't. He threw that pass and got away with it. He threw a ball into triple coverage on the first touchdown drive that ended with the TD to Kamara. He threw a ball into triple coverage, somehow got away with it. He scrambled a few times, thought for sure a fumble was coming. The Patriots not being able to get the ball away from Jameis Winston and away from the Saints offense, that surprised me the most. From the Patriots offense, there's all kind of blame to go around here. Jonu Smith was horrendous. We'll get to that. Mac Jones wasn't great. We asked him to throw it deep. Didn't do it with any kind of effectiveness. They're not. Mac Jones is not the reason the Patriots lost yesterday. But he wasn't great. They couldn't run the ball. And for me, the most disappointing part of the offense was the offensive line. Trent Brown didn't play again. That was a surprise. And it felt like Mac Jones had pressure in his face all day long. The New England Patriots, as we've talked about for months, are supposed to be a great situation for a rookie quarterback. Why? Because there's all this help around the rookie quarterback. And right now, Mac Jones isn't getting a lot of it. I feel like every time Mac Jones goes back to pass, he's fearing for his life back there. His football life is on the line every time he drops back. Listen to Matt Castle, former Pats quarterback. If he continues to get hit and pressured the way that he did today in the first half in particular, it's going to be a long season for Mac Jones, and it's going to be a long season for this offense. The one thing that you can do to help a young quarterback is get your run game going, help set up play action, but because they haven't been able to and they've been very stagnant in the run game, it's put a lot of pressure on Mac Jones. They couldn't run the football. They were down so big at times they couldn't even try to run the football. And to Castle's point, Mac Jones cannot get hit like this. He was hit 11 times yesterday. He was sacked twice. If you want him to hold up and grow, then he needs to be upright. 
He does some good things when he has time to throw. But right now, all too often, he doesn't have it. And again, I'm not putting this loss on Mac Jones. His numbers weren't great, and they'll get picked apart. And he wasn't perfect, but he is by far not the biggest culprit here. The drops, the poor line play, that was completely egregious. The defense on third down, the ability to stop the run in the fourth quarter, all of it contributed. Mac Jones, for me yesterday, was way down the list of Patriots' problems. He takes a lot of the blame, and he's very good at assuming responsibility. Yesterday was not on him. He's the guy who's got the three picks next to his name, but the offensive line was awful all day, and the defense was awful in spurts, especially when they needed them to be good. And the Patriots now sit at one and two. And yeah, it can get worse. Because when Tom Brady comes to town, right now, that game has the potential for 40 to 10. Okay? That has the potential for 40 to 10. We get a text on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026. Let's see. Did the Pats look forward to the game against Tom Brady? They didn't look focused yesterday at all. That comes from Will up in Plattsburgh. I don't think the Patriots looked ahead, really. I mean, a lot of the guys playing now for the Patriots, a lot of them weren't teammates with Brady. There are guys there, Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, James White, some of the offensive line. Like There are guys there that were teammates with Brady, but I think those guys are veteran enough to know not to look ahead. And as for the young guys, it means a lot to the organization, but I don't know that it means a ton to them in particular, at least yet. They'll get the point this week. They'll see what it's like on Sunday. But I don't know that, you know, J.J. Taylor is looking at the calendar, you know, last Thursday thinking, oh, I can't wait for a week from Sunday. I, I don't think that the young guys are wired like that. The guys who played with Brady, they recognize the importance, but they're veteran enough to compartmentalize like they're supposed to. They've been around long enough. The young guys, I think the ignorance is bliss. I don't know that it's something that really registered with them yet. They'll get it this week, but going into this past week, I don't think so. I'm not letting them off the hook like that. And we had Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston on on Friday. when He said, look, the Patriots aren't good enough to look past people. I don't think that was it. I think right now the Patriots are just a team that we thought was good and maybe isn't as good as we thought. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots looked ugly on television. I'm sure they were ugly in person if you were there. So I think it was the offensive line. What was the ugliest part of the Pats' performance yesterday? We'll ask the people who were in the building. We'll go out to Jay Alter, ESPN Radio. He was on the national call yesterday for Pats and Saints. What stood out to him most? That's next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Coming up just after 6 o'clock, I'm going to tell you about uh, maybe my worst golf round ever ever and it involved one of our listeners so uh stay tuned for that just after six o'clock we do have a full show today we go up until seven o'clock no red sox baseball and i'm glad we have a full 90 minutes because we need all 90 minutes 
to break down what happened this weekend. Red Sox swept by the Yanks and now in wild card position number two in the American League. And the Patriots beaten by the Saints again, 28 to 13. And the Pats now one and two. Joining us now on the phone line is a guy who was in Foxborough yesterday. He was on the national radio call of the Pats Saints game for ESPN Radio. It's Jay Alter, and he did the game with Pats longtime legend Rob Ninkovich. So, Jay, thanks for being with us. Appreciate the time. How are you? Good, Brady. Thanks for having me. Although I, I know from the Pats perspective, I'm sure you wish uh, they, they played a little better. I know Rob Ninkovich, my partner, certainly thought. Uh, they didn't look like themselves yesterday. Yeah, they certainly didn't. You know, we've generally said forever, the Patriots won't beat themselves. That's always been a, a, a talking point about the Pats. They won't beat themselves, and they're beating themselves. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Brady. Rob Ninkovich made it on our broadcast yesterday. When have you seen a Bill Belichick coach team uh, get a punt blocked, kick a, a kickoff out of bounds, get great field position to the Saints? You know, throw three interceptions. Um, they had a fourth and one that they had the offense on the field for. They get a false start and have yeah. to punt. Um, these are just mistakes, self-inflicted wounds that we are not accustomed to a Bill Belichick coach team making. What was the general vibe in the stadium? We heard the boos on TV and radio, but what was the vibe from your perspective? Well, it's never good when the loudest cheers uh, that you hear at the stadium from the home fans come during the halftime ceremony. Mm. And, uh, I, I say that in jest, but it is true. And part of that is Julian Edelman is, is beloved by the Patriots faithful. But the the team did not give them anything to, to cheer about yesterday. Um, I mean, missed field goals got kind of a, a golf clap, if you will, uh, from the Saints. Yeah. Um, but I, there was just not a moment yesterday where you could say, oh, the crowd really erupted and got into it and had – belief that they were going to win that football game and you can credit the Saints for kind of sucking that out of the Patriots fans and kind of neutralizing what is usually a terrific Gillette Stadium crowd but um, yeah the, the the feeling from the home fans I would say was subdued almost like what looking at each other what's going on this is not the Patriots we are used to seeing and I think any boos are, are more just frustration um, with how the team looked at you know, there's no doubt that next week when Tom Brady's in town, that crowd's going to be revved up again rooting for that team to win. I don't think there's going to be any carryover effect. I think uh, they're airing their frustrations for what was a rightly so frustrating game from the Patriots' perspective. From your perspective, are the Patriots a good team that played bad, or are we not even sure if they're particularly good right now? So I think they're still figuring that out themselves. I think the defense is good. Remember, the time of possession in that first half, the Saints ran about double the plays, a little little less than double um, the plays that the Patriots did, and had the ball for nearly 10 more minutes. So that was a very tired defense that actually I thought did a decent job keeping it a, a manageable game. The Saints could have been up a whole lot more in that first half and then continued to wear down um, in the second half. You know, they, they made two three-and-outs um, to kind of give their offense a chance. They failed to cash in. So I think the defense is good. I think it's a good defense that probably wants a couple of plays back yesterday. Um, offensively, they're still finding themselves. Um, you can't really put it on Mac Jones. Two out of his three interceptions should have been caught balls. Um, so I I don't know where the offense goes from here. But they they have to really look at themselves in the mirror because they couldn't get anything going. Ground game, passing attack, offensive line was putrid. 
uh, really ugly football offensively, and I think that's where most of their issues lie. Of all the ugliness you saw, what was the biggest disappointment yesterday? Probably Jonu Smith. Um, I mean, here's a guy you pay four years, $50 million bucks. Bill Belichick paying a tight end, big money. Um, he dropped three balls yesterday. One resulted in a pick six. Um, he got the most boos yesterday. So that that was definitely the one. If you're going to make me pinpoint where it all went wrong, I, you take away that pick six, it's a different ball game. Jay Alter, ESPN Radio, was in Foxborough yesterday for the call for Patriots and Saints. Pats lose that one 28-13. They're now 1-2, and two, and Jay's with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You mentioned doing the game with Rob Ninkovich. What was Ninko saying during this as someone who has a lot of Patriots pride in his blood? Yeah, to say, to say the least, uh, you know, Brady, it was funny because obviously, you know, it's a national broadcast for, for ESPN Radio where in, 200-something affiliates around the country, and, and Rob's supposed to be down the middle, uh, you know, and, and he was for the most part. But there were three or four plays yesterday where head is going in the hands and going, oh, because it was just that painful. And I think the, the one thing that summarizes it best is he just looked at me and said, this is not Patriot football. And guys that played on those Super Bowl-winning teams know what that looks like. They know what – the coaching staff and the fans demand from them and expect from them week in and week out. And yesterday was simply not it. Based on what you saw and based on what we know about the Bucks and how good they are despite a loss to the Rams, how bad and how lopsided could next week get? Oh, it could get very lopsided, um, particularly if the offensive line does not get healthy. They need Trent Brown back badly. It looks like that James White injury was pretty serious, and I think people take him for granted both in the protection game and as a check down. Mac Jones didn't have his – his check down became like Hunter Henry and John O. Smith. That's not as reliable a check down as James White has been for the Patriots the last decade. Um, so certainly it could get very lopsided. Here's the other thing, Brady. Would it shock you if they came out and just played terrific football? Obviously the defense is good enough. Mac Jones has shown he's good enough when he gets the right protection. So maybe this was a wake-up call, the wake-up call they needed with Tom Brady coming to Gillette uh, on Sunday. You know, you mentioned the halftime show. Julian Edelman honored at halftime. I feel like this team is missing some of the Julian Edelman toughness. Did you get that impression? Yeah, that's a great point, Um, especially when James White went out. He kind of has that old Patriots toughness, right? Um they don't have that right now. Certainly not on the offensive side of the football. It's just nowhere to be found. And I don't really see where it's going to come from. You look at the roster and you go, uh, Oshetsky, okay, I guess that's kind of what they're going for, but he certainly hasn't proven it, at least on a consistent basis. Um, nor is he in the game offensively enough to probably get the opportunity with them running consistently two tight end sets. Um You know, Brady, it's a great question because usually you're right. The Patriots have that reliable, um, you know, Julian Edelman-type character, both in their locker room and also on the field. And, yeah, totally glaringly missing yesterday. Great point by you. What was the Edelman ceremony like? Something that we weren't privy to on TV or at least on local radio here. Uh, We didn't see it or hear it. What was it like in the building? Oh, I wish they should have carried that because – 
it truly was the highlight for the home fans yesterday. Uh, and I'm not even saying that as, as a joke. I mean, I know you could take it that way because the Patriots played poorly. But so what happened was they run the highlight montage on the big scoreboard at Gillette Stadium. And then he runs through the entrance, like you know, the, out of the tunnel, mm. like the players normally do. And he ran the full 100 yards from one end zone <laughs> to the other end zone. Um, you know, kind of with his arms extended, flying, you know, like like he was a jet plane, and, and every, everyone's on their feet screaming, cheering, and then, um, you know, Bob Kraft had a nice little speech, and then Edelman stepped up and thanked everybody, and, and you know, uh, they honored his, his number 11. Um, it was a special moment. I, I think he so, and Bob Kraft said it yesterday, he kind of, magnifies exactly the Patriot way. Here's a guy that probably just based off size and stature should not have played in the NFL, but because of his IQ, because of his toughness, you know, he ends up being a huge member of multiple Super Bowls and a a huge fixture for, for a dynasty. Patriots lose to the Saints. Don't look good doing it. Red Sox swept at home by the Yankees. Who had the worst weekend in New England? It's funny because I was at the the hotel bar um, after calling the game last night, and I'm watching the Red Sox absolutely yak it away to the Yankees and get and get swept in what was a vital um, series. And I actually asked the, the Boston sports fan next to me, I go, "What? What's worse?" And he goes, "Well, it's got to be the Pats because at least the Red Sox move on to play the Orioles and the Nationals. Now, if they choke against those teams, then the Red Sox got a pull." way up because that would be an epic collapse. I mean, a collapse that would go down in, in the history of, of Red Sox baseball if they yak this lead away to the Orioles and Nationals. But for yesterday, just in a one-day sample size, I think it's got to be the Patriots. They, they played as poorly as they've played at home in probably 20 years under Bill Belichick yesterday. What's the drink of choice at the hotel bar? Uh, great great question by you i'll usually go with the, the local um whatever local beer is on tap but yesterday um went with the hard stuff little margarita on the rocks no salt yeah i think we all needed the hard stuff after yesterday yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly Bates. god knows what rob nikovich's choice was at home <laughs> uh, pats lose 28 13 they're one and two jay alter was on the call for espn radio with rob nikovich former pats great jay we appreciate the time and perspective and we'd love to do it again sometime absolutely thanks brady absolutely to you as well and jay alter is right we all needed the hard stuff after yesterday's Pats game. But I don't do margaritas. That's not for me. I am a, I am always a rum and Coke guy, especially if I go out and get a drink. In the summer, if I'm sitting out at a tiki bar or something, or I'm in downtown Burlington or whatever, sitting somewhere on the street, I like a coconut rum-based drink in the summer. I like rum. I don't do vodka. I don't do gin. Very, very, very seldom will I ever get something with whiskey. Rum is my thing, so like that's what I'm going for. I don't do margaritas unless it's Cinco de Mayo. I'll, I'll do a rum or I'll do a uh, margarita on Cinco de Mayo. But that's about it. Ton of good stuff in that interview football-wise from Jay Alter. We're going to react to some of it in the 6 p.m. hour. I'm very interested about the Patriots' toughness and what they might be missing there in the absence of Julian Edelman. But what we will do is we will step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS News. Okay, National news update from CBS News. And then when we come back on the other side of the 6 o'clock hour, I hung out over the weekend with one of our listeners, okay? I hung out with one of our listeners, and let's just say 
It didn't go as planned. I'll tell you about maybe the worst first impression that I could have made. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, and the free WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Want to remind everybody, if you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews, like the one we just did there with Jay Alter, you can always check us out on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So we are approaching 300,000 lifetime downloads of this show podcast. Show has not been on the air yet for one month. We are almost exactly one month away from our one-year birthday per se and uh, the podcast numbers have completely exceeded my wildest dreams on that so we did record numbers over the last couple of weeks and it's all because of you guys so we appreciate you then that is again Brady Farkas show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify wherever you get your podcasts you can find us um, I want to tell a story quick before we get back into sports here and get it to the Red Sox in a couple of minutes but there is almost no worse feeling than embarrassing yourself the first time you do something with someone. I hung out the other day with one of our listeners, Stephen Faston, great listener. He's been listening to us like from day one. One of the first, he might have been the first text on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line. So he and I played golf the other day together. Great, we you know, we had met before. We talked about playing golf. We finally made it happen here since golf season is coming to an end. So we played at Essex Country Club uh, this past Saturday. Now, he's heard me through the afternoon news service and the midday news service in this show. He's heard me talk about playing golf. He knows clearly by listening that I really do like it. I do play a decent amount. So he said, hey, let's go out. I like golf. You like golf. You play a lot. Let's go. So I said, sure. So he was probably expecting me to be a young guy, athletic, plays a bunch, who's probably pretty good. Instead, my first impression playing with our listener, Steve, was I may have been the worst golfer in the history of the planet. I could not almost do nothing right. I could almost do nothing right. Now, I've been playing, I would say, a decent amount for about the last three years. So I'm by no means, you know, a 20-year golfer. But I've gotten to the point where I really like it. And for the last three years, I've been going out a lot. This may have been the worst that I have been since I started playing with any kind of regularity. I mean, I know I'm not as bad as I showed, but my goodness, you could not have made a worst first impression. He may never want to play with me again. It was that bad. I mean, we played what I would deem to be a challenging course. Like Essex Country Club has some real length to it, has some real tough greens. Like I consider the course to be hard. But I shot like a 114. Like a 114. I shot a 61 on the front nine. And frankly, I don't even know if that was all that legitimate. There was one hole where I took three separate tee shots because I lost the balls on the first two. I was hitting like 180 out and 480 to the right. Like I was hitting on hole one. The ball was probably ending up on the green of hole seven. That's how bad I was. Now, we've all had those days, I'm sure. And if I'm playing with my dad or whatever, then that's, you know, that's different. Like, if I play with my dad and I suck, 
hey, no big deal. You know, hey, Pops, you've seen me play pretty well before, so you know this is just a bad day. Steve sees me play, and he's like, this kid goes out with any kind of regularity? I think I'll pass next time. You know what? Brady, once is enough. I think we're pretty good here. I think we're all set. You could not have made a worse first impression. Like, it was comedic stuff. For every one good shot that I had, and there were a few, for every one good shot that I had, I had about nine that were horrible. I lost about 12 balls for the day. I almost ran out of golf balls. If not for finding a couple random golf balls while looking for my mishits, I would have been completely out by the end of the day. A complete embarrassment I was the other day. Again, my 114, I don't even think that was legitimate. If I just played it straight and took proper penalties, I probably would have been about 120. I would say, you know, for my level, if you shoot 100 or under, I would consider that to be good. Like, that's the level that I'm at. I've played courses before and shot, you know, 94, 98, 101. I think that those numbers are good for my skill level. I shot, like, 15 above that. I would have – forget, like, at the at the uh, actual golf tournaments, like, not missing the cut on Thursday. They wouldn't even have let me in the building on day two of a tournament. It was that bad. Oh, and now Steve is on the text line here, Napa-Morrisville. Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026 he says I just got in my truck in time to hear this relax I wasn't much better I'd play again anytime now you're just being nice that's how I that's how you know that you were horrific when when you're being patronized like that that's how you know that's like oh that's like the equivalent of of the pat on the shoulder it's okay it's not that bad yeah it was that bad that, that him telling me that it wasn't that bad means it was even worse than I'm anticipating. It took us about three hours and 45 minutes to play 18 holes because we spent about 45 minutes looking for my ball on, like, every hole. Even on the – I got four eights. And eight is the limit, like, that I play with. Like, I just cap it at eight. It doesn't matter if it's a par three or a par five. Like, I know a lot of people do double par – is your max there so like on a five you could get a 10 really i always cap it at eight i got four eights i think i got three in a row at one point on the front nine it was to the point where i didn't even like if i had just been playing by myself if i wasn't with steve our listener i would have walked out after nine and just and eaten the money and just said you know what it's not keep my money it's not even worth me going around again well okay maybe that's a lie maybe i would have tried to get nine holes back but my god and then we were supposed to play in a trio, and my other buddy didn't show. So it was just me and Steve, the listener. So my other buddy doesn't show. He must have preemptively known I was going to be this bad and said, you know what? It's not worth it. Not worth it. Not going to go. I, I don't feel like being with you today. I didn't feel like being with me the other day. I broke a T on every hole, it felt like. All of my T shots went way out to the right. Uh, then I tried to overcompensate and hit him way to the left. I was playing, you know, I, 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 if I played best ball, all of my balls would have been unfindable. I would have just been playing the other guy's shot every single day. Complete embarrassment. It's one thing to be bad in the company of people who you play with all the time. They've at least seen you be good. Now Steve's going to be like, anything he ever says about golf, I'm not going to buy because I've seen him at his worst. That's, his, that's forever going to be his impression until we play again. And now I'm so in my head, I don't know that I could go and make it any better this week. Hey, Steve, let's play again today. 
I don't know that I could be any better. It's in my head now. I need like a four-hour driving range session and a professional lesson to figure this out. It was ugly, 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 and a terrible first impression. People on the text line saying, this is hilarious. Now Steve says, I didn't tell anyone, I promise. Another patronizing comment. Another, pa- I'm telling everyone. You're you're free to tell everyone. I just told the whole the whole text line and the whole show and the whole podcast crew. Everybody knows I was awful. He was pretty good. Steve was good. He's like, I don't play that much anymore. I don't go to the driving range beforehand. Goes out, boom, 101. I was like, I went to the driving range an hour ago and shot a 114. Also horrific. My golf game, though, might, might have been mildly better than what we saw to the Red Sox this weekend. Okay? Red Sox, also awful. Swept by the Yankees. Now out of the first playoff position. And the Red Sox took a script, took a page out of the Patriots book yesterday and decided to beat themselves. In getting swept by the Yankees, the Red Sox decided to Patriots themselves and just stink up the joint and give it away. The last two days of baseball at Fenway were complete gut punches. To give up a grand slam and blow the game on Saturday and then to have what happened last night happened You know, 30 hours later, a complete gut punch. And frankly, as much as I like the Red Sox, last night, they deserved it. The Red Sox deserved bad things to happen to them last night. When you give outs away to a good team and a good lineup full of established major leaguers, you deserve bad things to happen. I have always, always felt that way when you walk guys or you make errors or you have mental mistakes or you can't run the bases you deserve to pay for your sins and yesterday the Red Sox did just that Red Sox were up last night eighth inning they were up three to two there were two on there was one out and Aaron Judge was at the plate so Judge is up Bobby Dahlbeck drops a pop-up in foul territory Judge gets another life then he gets gifted Another life, as Christian Vasquez and the weird kind of drop third strike play we'll get to momentarily. So now, two extra lives for Aaron freaking Judge. You're up by one run, eighth inning of a playoff race, and Judge does this. He kicks, here it is. Swinging a line drive, base hit in the left center field to give the Yankees the lead. It one hops the center field wall. Here's the throw to second base, and Judge is in there. Throw hits him in the leg, a two-run double, and the Yankees lead 4-3. Oh, he could have been out twice. He could have been out twice. Let me let me kind of step aside for let me step kind of parallel to the conversation here. That play with Judge and Christian Vasquez was a horrific call. Two strikes on Judge. Judge foul tips the ball into Vasquez's glove. Vasquez pulls the ball out of his glove and then drops the ball. Clearly on the transfer. Like an infielder who's turned into a double play, who loses the ball on a transfer, still gets credit for the out. Christian Vasquez, it was clearly on the transfer, should have gotten credit for the out, should have been the strikeout. Instead, they just called it a foul ball that essentially fell. It was a completely embarrassing call. To me, it wasn't even close. But I have always said, 
and you can go back to what I said after week one football. These are my these are my rules of sports. One call does not decide a game. That call was horrific. It contributed to the Red Sox losing. But if Dahlbeck just catches the pop-up, you know, a few pitches prior, or if Garrett Richards doesn't walk to before Judge is there, then we're never having this conversation. The play would never have happened and would never have mattered. The Red Sox yesterday, yes, the call was bad. They beat themselves. Dahlbeck drops the pop-up. Richards walks two guys in the inning. You set yourself up for failure. You set, you put yourself in a position to have that kind of call come back to screw you, and it did. You flirted with fire for far too long, and eventually you got burned. You gifted them the game, and then you got swept. And then you look at what happened on Saturday. The Red Sox gifted that one too. Eighth inning, Sox winning, two outs, nobody on. Brett Gardner of all people, a guy who spent most of the year hitting like 152. Tanner Houck walks him. Then he walks Judge. Then Darwin's in Hernandez. So then they hit Anthony Rizzo, and then Hernandez gives up a grand slam to Stanton. You can't do that stuff. In the midst of a playoff race, you cannot beat yourself, and the Red Sox did it, and they did it all weekend. They did it all weekend. The Red Sox yesterday deserved bad things to happen to them. They deserved bad things on Saturday. You play with fire for too long, eventually you get burned. And the Red Sox got burned in the worst possible way. Now, they're still in the playoffs as of today. They still have a very favorable schedule to stay in the playoffs. But they had a chance to silence some doubters, and they weren't able to do it this weekend. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Richard in Duxbury. Brady, what has happened to the Red Sox bullpen lately? Well, part of it is injury, right? Josh Taylor's newly on the IL. Garrett Whitlock is still on the IL. You certainly would have liked to have Whitlock available in some of these circumstances. I got to think they would have rather gone to Whitlock. But one of the big issues for the Red Sox lately has been Matt Barnes. Like, he had COVID. He was out. He's clearly still not fully recovered from that baseball-wise. I mean, he's talked about, um, what did I read today? His velocity being down, his mechanics being off. He's just not in a rhythm, and he hasn't been able to throw enough strikes. But even beyond COVID, Matt Barnes has been not very good. They extended him, you know, a couple of months ago. Since Matt Barnes got an extension – He's got an ERA of nearly 7. He's got a whip of 1.8. He's been bad now for a while. Even without COVID, he's been bad for a while. He's not the high leverage arm that he was for the first three months of the season, and he's not the high leverage arm right now that the Red Sox need. I mean, think about this. Game on the line, the Red Sox aren't able to go to their guy who was their closer, who they extended for, who they counted on for three and a half months. They can't even go to him because of the lack of faith. I mean, Hansel Robles has, I think, 10 consecutive scoreless outings for the Red Sox. He is more reliable than Matt Barnes. The only thing you can hope is that Barnes figures this out in the playoffs. I mean, there's some precedent for that. I mean, Joe Kelly, like in 2018, Joe Kelly had an ERA of 8.3 in the final month of 2018. 
goes to the World Series, has an ERA, goes to the playoffs rather, ERA of .79 of the playoffs, doesn't have any walks, gets a huge deal from the Dodgers. So, I mean, it can happen. You can turn it quickly. All it takes is a little confidence. And right now, Matt Barnes has none, and the Sox have none in him. As it stands, Red Sox off today. They'll open up a series with the Baltimore Orioles. That'll come up uh, beginning tomorrow, 6.05 with the pregame show. So, Sox one back of the Yankees, one up on Toronto, two up on Seattle, three on Oakland here with six games to play all the way around. All right, we do this every single day on the Brady Farka Show. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. So we're officially off and running on Tom Brady return to Foxborough week. This is going to dominate the airwaves both regionally and nationally. Now, we have short shows all week after today because of the Red Sox, and this was the final week of the Red Sox regular season. So we're going to be back into the mindset of a bunch of long shows beginning next week, but all short shows this week. So we're going to do a bunch of extra stuff on the podcast channel on Brady and Belichick and the return and all that. So we're going to do it, but we're just not going to be on the air live enough to do it as much as everybody else is. But we're off and running. Belichick was asked today on WEEI in Boston about the whole Brady scenario. Listen to what Belichick said. Yeah, well, I think we've been through all the dynamics of that. There are a lot of things there that, you know, he, you know, he, he looked at his options and made his decision. We weren't as good an option as uh, Tampa. So, I mean, you'd have to ask him about all that, but that's really, it wasn't a question of not wanting him, that's for sure. It wasn't a question of not wanting him. There's a few things, that's a 20-second clip. There's two distinct thoughts in there that don't make a lot of sense to me. To be honest with you, I think Belichick is full of nonsense in that entire quote. Okay, I think Belichick is full of nonsense in that entire quote. 802-585-3026. I want to know, do you believe Belichick there that Brady evaluated his options and Tampa was just better? And... Do you believe that Belichick, you know, it wasn't a matter that we didn't want it. That wasn't it. Because I, I don't believe either one of those thoughts. I don't think Brady evaluated his options and came to the conclusion Tampa was better than New England. I truly think Tampa was basically the only option that Brady had. Think, th- look, look at what I'm about to tell you. Listen to this. If you're driving in your car, you're listening on demand later, listen to this. We talked about a multitude of teams being a fit for Tom Brady or Brady being a potential fit for a multitude of teams after the 2019 season heading into 2020. One of which was the Chargers, one of which was the Dolphins, one of which was the Titans, and one of which was the Colts. So those four, and then not including the Bucks and Patriots, those four, they all made other moves. Before Tom Brady signed, while Tom Brady was technically available, those four teams all went in another direction. The only team left that wasn't the Patriots was the Bucks. The Chargers, they signed Tyrod Taylor to a two-year deal. They signed him before Tom Brady. They said, we have a top 10 pick. 
and we'll get Tyrod Taylor. They did that. Sign Taylor, draft Justin Herbert. Boom, no need for Tom Brady. Dolphins already had Ryan Fitzpatrick, had their veteran quarterback. Hey, we got a top five pick. We'll use that on a QB. Boom, they draft Tua. That's their quarterback situation. Dolphins are out. We were very into the uh, the Titans thing because of Brady's relationship with their head coach, Mike Vrabel. Well, prior to, you know, while Brady was available, they went and signed Ryan Tannehill to a four-year deal. They made their choice. Wasn't Brady. Colts made their choice. They got Phillip Rivers. They also didn't choose Brady. So the only teams that were left after the musical chairs were the Pats and Bucks. Belichick is right about that. But I think it was very clear by the time it got to this point that Belichick didn't really want Brady anymore and Brady wasn't going to be wanted back in Foxborough. So the only move left on the board were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It wasn't a matter of Brady choosing Tampa over New England and leaving New England out in the cold. It was, well, Belichick doesn't want me, and all these other teams made their moves, so the Bucs are who's left. So that's number one. I don't believe that Brady just chose the Bucs because it was a better situation. He chose the Bucs because it was the only situation. To Belichick's other point, when he says it's not like we didn't want him, I don't believe that either. There's been a lot of back and forth about what went on with Brady and Belichick, and there will continue to be. But I do believe that Belichick no longer wanted Brady. I just hope that that reason was for football reasons. So we get another message in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line saying, Brady chose to leave. Why? We'll never know. He chose to leave because Belichick didn't want him. Don't focus on Brady. Focus on Belichick. Why did Belichick not want Brady? Because that's what this comes down to. Brady would have stayed. I truly believe Brady wanted to stay. Belichick didn't want him here. The question is why. I hope that that why is answered by football reasons. Because, remember... 2019, Patriots really limped into the playoffs, got beaten in the first round by the Titans. So the team wasn't particularly good, and Brady wasn't particularly good in 2019 either. You go to 2020, the team was in salary cap hell. So Brady wanted a new deal, and the team was in cap hell. So the the, the Patriots we saw last year that weren't very good, that had no money and couldn't do anything, would have likely been worse if they had paid Brady, because there would have been even less help. So Belichick very possibly could have said, hey, our 42-year-old quarterback was not good at the end of 2019. We're not going to be in a position to do a whole lot in 2020, and we're going to waste his 43-year-old season. So now we're just waiting until 2021 when we can spend a bunch of money, and Brady's going to be 44. Is that worth playing that game? You can make a case that, no, it wasn't. If Bill Belichick said, hey, wasn't great at the end of 2019, 2020 we're in salary cap hell, and we're waiting until he's 44, and I just don't trust that he'll be good at 44, that re- that rationale would make sense to me. That rationale would make sense to me. If you told me Bill Belichick didn't want Tom Brady here because he didn't want to wait and see what Brady was like at 44, 
then I would I would be okay with that. If if you gave Belichick truth serum and he spit out that answer, I'd be okay with that. What I will not accept is the other prevailing thought that goes around that simply Belichick was tired of Brady and tired of Brady's ego. That I won't accept because if Bill Belichick got rid of Brady because he was fed up with him, that that will not fly with me. Getting rid of him for football reasons because you didn't want to wait and see what he's like at 44, that's understandable, and I think that's even defendable. Getting rid of him because you're simply, but I don't even know, annoyed by him, jealous of him, if, if Bill Belichick was that petty, then that is a problem. But either way, I don't believe what Bill Belichick said today. Brady never had the choice between the Bucks and the Patriots, and it is that the Patriots didn't want him. The question is just why. I hope it's for football reasons, but based on what other people speculate, I fear it might be for something else, and that would be a problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Four more days of TV 12 talk. It's going to be extensive. It's going to be extensive. When we come back, the Red Sox swept by the Yanks, and in doing so, the Red Sox opened themselves up to a very familiar question. I'll tell you what that is next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training program, which is, uh, well, it's a gym, I guess you would say, but they use the high-intensity interval training program uh, as the basis of their workout. It's located off Interstate 189 in South Burlington. They're in that Shaw's Plaza there with the Starbucks is there. There's Subway, Chipotle. It is, for me, the best workout. It's the only kind of workout that I enjoy doing and am able to get myself through. When I try to go to a regular gym, pick up a couple weights, do a set, go get a drink of water, and it's very unproductive for me. And a 40-minute workout takes two hours. At Orange Theory Fitness, it's a one-hour program. It's structured. The coaches have the workout planned in advance for you. And you get in, you get your work done, and you get out. And you can burn calories up. Look, Last time I was there, I burned over 900 calories. And if you start to push yourself like that, you can burn calories for 24 hours after the workout is done by doing nothing when you're just recovering. So I highly recommend it. I go every week. You can go online, orangetheoryfitness.com, learn a little bit more about what the workout structure is, and go find their individual Facebook page at Orange Theory Fitness Burlington. So the Red Sox were swept by the Yankees, and you can share your thoughts, 802 585 3026 and the Red Sox opened themselves up to a very familiar question. Can they beat anybody good? I don't doubt at this point the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs. I'm not concerned about them missing the playoffs entirely. They have six games left against Baltimore and Washington. They have the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball for the last week of the season. The Red Sox have the easiest schedule in all of baseball. Okay, Every team near them in the playoff race has a significantly harder schedule than they do. So I trust the Red Sox are going to get in the playoffs. That is not my concern. My concern is what happens when they get there. This weekend exposed them, 
and it opened up all the questions again. They'd won seven straight, but now I'm thinking again, can they beat anybody who's any good? Of course they can win in a one-game playoff. Anybody can win in one game. But in terms of a series, I don't have any faith that they can do anything. Their pitching and defense just isn't stable enough, isn't good enough defensively to be able to win a playoff series, nevertheless multiple playoff series that we needed to win the World Series. And Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, he's on our show every Thursday. He told us last week that every other team in the AL playoff field would choose the Red Sox as their preferred opponent. I would agree with you because uh, I think right now you can make an argument that the Blue Jays are the best team in the American League, which is funny because right now they wouldn't even be in the playoffs. But with the way their lineup is going, you know, they're their hottest team in baseball, 16-5 and five, uh, in the month of September. Uh, Robbie Ray, the, their ace, is probably going to wind up being the Cy Young Award winner. The Yankees, you know, assuming that Garrett Cole's outing the other day, uh, that he can be better going forward. Um, you know, they, they, with that great lineup, they would be really dangerous. Where the Red Sox have been more inconsistent. Look, a lot of the stats Buster threw out, again, he was with us last Thursday, so those are now outdated. What matters is every other team in the Yale playoff field would choose to play the Red Sox. They've been, to Buster's point, very inconsistent. I do like the top half of their lineup. Like, the Red Sox have redeeming qualities, and I generally like Evaldi and Chris Sale. But the defense is a huge issue. The other starter, I think, is an issue. I don't trust Erod. I don't trust Pavetta, despite the fact that he was good on Saturday. We now know the bullpen continues to be an issue. I don't know that the Red Sox can beat a good team in a playoff series. I certainly don't think they can beat several of them. They feel like a team that, if they win the wild card, is certainly one and done. I think they're going to lose to the. If they get to the wild card, they're going to lose to the race. Or if they get to the, you know, out of the wild card and into the playoffs, the big draw, they're going to lose to the Rays. I think the Rays are just significantly better. And by the way, the Red Sox also have a very interesting and not that good uh, conundrum going on defensively in the playoffs. Like, you have first base, left field, and DH, and you're not going to be able to fit in everybody in that you want. If you want to play Alex Verdugo in left, then J.D. Martinez is your DH, and then Schwarber and Dahlbeck, one of them's at first and one of them's out of the lineup. That's a problem. If you want to play Schwarber in left and or J.D. in left and Schwarber's the DH and Dahlbeck's at first, now Verdugo's not playing. The, the, the lineup is good, but they're always going to be missing out on something. They're going to have better offense and worse defense or a better defense but worse offense. The Red Sox feel very much like they could win a wild card game, but they won't do anything beyond that. I just, and I don't think, while other teams are flawed, I think the Red Sox right now are too flawed to have any confidence in. And I was starting to think maybe they could get hot and overcome those flaws, but to get swept at home by the Yankees, it shows me they aren't with the really good teams yet. I don't even think the Yankees are really with the really good teams. I don't think that the Red Sox are as good as Chicago. I don't. I know they're not as good as Tampa, and I know they're not as good as Houston. We get a message in from Will on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Red Sox are just like the Patriots. They're just not that good. Um, 
a good question. Or it's actually it's a good statement, but it's forcing me to think. I think the Red Sox are good, but they're flawed. I would say that they are about the I would say they're about the sixth best team in the American League. They're they're going to get to the playoffs, so only five are gonna get in. So there's gonna be someone I think better than them who's left out. I think they're good, but I think they're flawed. I think that they are worse than Tampa, worse than Chicago, worse than Houston. I think they're worse than Toronto. And I think they're fifth. I think the Yankees are probably worse than the Red Sox, but not by much. They have some more redeeming qualities than the Red Sox do, but I think overall they're probably worse. And then Seattle and Oakland, I think, are battling it out for seventh. So Red Sox are good. They're not good enough to go anywhere. Same thing, I think, with the Patriots. I think the Patriots have good in them, but I don't think they're good enough to go anywhere. I told you all along I thought they were a 10-win team. They'd make the playoffs, maybe win a game. You know, they had to win yesterday. They're going to lose to Tampa, so that, they're going to be 1-3. and three. But Then they get Houston. They got the Jets again, so they could very easily, by the middle of October, be right around 500 again and kind of be on track with what I said. But... The Pats, I think, are better than they are playing, and I think there's room for growth, but they cannot afford to keep beating themselves. On that note, let's get to a little unpacking the Patriots and go through the rest of the Pats' 28-13 loss to the Saints. We got, a fit. We got some new levels here on the uh, Brady Farkas show, so I don't know what's too loud and what's not. So do me a favor. If the music is too loud, let me know on the text line, 802-585-3026. If you can't hear the music or it's too loud and you can't hear me, let me know. But let's get to unpacking the Patriots. Good. Jones takes the snap. Pressure comes immediately. Floats it up. Jump ball. It's caught. Kendrick Bourne at the two. Extends. Touchdown, New England. And the bat. They'll fake it to start. Oh, disastrous play to begin the half. And Malcolm Jenkins is going to cruise home for a pick six. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show. Again, let me know if the music's too loud, if my mic is too loud. Just let me know. We got some new equipment here today and kind of feeling myself through this as well. Unpacking the Patriots, number one. The Pats are not giving Mac Jones a lot of help. Let's acknowledge that. They need to create some things for Mac Jones, and they're just not. We've talked about this being a really good place for a rookie quarterback to, to, to thrive because there's so much around him. Well, right now, that so much around him isn't doing a whole lot to help. Offensive line's been bad. We covered that a lot in the 5 o'clock hour. They're not really running the ball well. The vaunted Pats rushing attack, 24th in the league in rush yards per game. And listen to this stat. Henry McKenna of a Patriots Wire brought this one to us. Mac Jones is the guy who needs to distribute the football and kind of let guys make plays for him. Well, James White leads the team in yards after catch. He's 51st in the NFL. So they're not getting any freebies. They're not getting any extra yards. They're not getting any cheapies. Jonu Smith, 77th in the league in yards after catch. Kendrick Bourne, 83rd. Jacoby Myers, 89th. Nelson Aguilar, 131st. They're not getting any extra production out of these guys. They're not getting any freebies. Mac Jones throws it for four yards, and it's four yards. It's not four that becomes nine. Okay, They're not making a whole lot of guys miss. Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, 
have like 30 plus million dollars guaranteed. They have not missed, made one defender miss a tackle yet this year. And Jonu Smith was especially horrible yesterday. Blocking, catching, he dropped three passes yesterday, including the heartbreaking pick six that put him down 21 to three. Our guy, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, said the tight ends yesterday got an F in that game. When the Patriots gave Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry a combined $56 million in guarantees this offseason as free agents, they were expecting to get game changers. They were expecting to get players who would give opposing defensive coordinators fits in terms of figuring out their personnel. They were hoping to get a jolt for their passing game. But in week three and a loss to the Saints, what the Patriots got as a result of the play from their tight ends were boos from the Gillette Stadium crowd. That's why in week three, the tight ends are coming away with an F. $56 million, forget $30 million, $56 million the Patriots gave out to Smith and Henry, and they got absolutely nothing from them yesterday. I did like that Mac Jones defended Jonu Smith yesterday. I thought that was a good leadership quality to show for the young quarterback. Unpacking the Patriots number two, this Pats team clearly not built to come from behind. We have said that before, but you do not want to get behind if you are the Pats because they do not have the ability to come back. The Patriots very clearly need a game script that they can follow, and this one ain't it. I mean, having Mac Jones being your leading rusher and being down all game is not what the Pats need to be successful. Mac threw 51 passes. That's far too many. He got hit far too much. Bill Belichick said you're going to get hit a lot when you're forced to throw on every down and the defense can pin their ears back. The Pats cannot afford to get down big. And it's part of the reason why I think that the Tom Brady reunion can get ugly because the Bucs are very capable of getting up 17-0 and running you out of the building. And the Pats don't have the ability to come back from that. Number three, the Patriots did allow Mac Jones to throw the ball deeper, probably part out of necessity, but the results weren't great yesterday. Mac Jones threw 19 passes of at least 15 yards down the field. 19. 19 passes of at least 15 yards down the field. He went 3 of 19 with two interceptions. He did get the one touchdown to Kendrick Bourne. Those 16 incompletions on those passes, 15 yards or more, tied for the most deep incompletions of any quarterback over the last 15 years. We asked for the Pats to let Mac Jones air it out. He did that, and he was off. Had a drop, you know, there was a drop in there by John U. Smith. Another ball hit Smith's hand, so it wasn't all Mac Jones's fault. But we asked him to take some shots. He took some shots, and there was not a lot of success there. The touchdown pass to Bourne, though, was good. We got to give him credit for that. Jones takes the snap. Pressure comes immediately. Floats it up. Jump ball. It's caught. Kendrick Bourne at the two. Extends. Touchdown, New England. That was a nice play by Mac Jones. He got to the line. He read the blitz was coming. He delivered a one-on-one ball, let his receiver make a play. Big-time credit to him. Big-time credit to Bourne for winning that one-on-one ball and then for being able to stay in bounds as well. Unpacking the Patriots, number four. A lot of talk is on the Patriots' offensive line, but the Pats' defensive line, that needs to be better too. The, the rush defense yesterday, where was it? They could not get off the end of the, they couldn't get off the field yesterday at the end of the game, and they couldn't get off the field yesterday or in week one at the end of the game. Embarrassing performance, according to Ted Johnson, former Pats uh, defensive stalwart. 
run defense has been bad all season long. We get that. But it's when it counts the most. When you know, everybody knows you, you got to st get a stop and you got to get off the field uh, and give your offense the ball. They, they, they can't stop the run. It, I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely uh, embarrassing. They couldn't get off the field in week one against Miami. They couldn't get off the field yesterday when they needed to. It was, what, a six-minute drive plus basically to ice the game yesterday for New Orleans. Kamara, Taysom Hill, they gashed them late in that fourth quarter. It was a lot of money spent on the defensive line. The offense is going to get most of the blame in this game, and that's deservedly so, but the defensive line did not come to play yet again and could not stop the run. All right, last thought here on Unpacking the Patriots. Number five, this team really is going to miss James White. As we stand right now, Ian Rappaport and Mike Giardi, the NFL Network report, James White suffered a subluxation of the hip during yesterday's game. He's going to be out indefinitely, probably going to be headed to the IR. Early prognosis for an injury like that looks like about six to eight weeks. So James White being gone, that's a big deal. Without Cam Newton and without Sony Michelle, the Patriots rushing attack is thin. Now you lose James White, that's a big problem. You lose James White, you lose his running ability, you lose his ability as Mac Jones' security blanket, as a checkdown receiver. You lose his ability as a pass blocker. It is a huge loss. Matt Castle acknowledged it. They're going to miss him, not only in the component of the run game, but particularly in the pass game, in pass pro and getting out of the backfield, creating those mismatches on the linebacker. So it's a tough loss today. And they're going to miss him in the locker room, too, because with COVID, I have no idea who's going to be allowed to be around and who isn't. Like, if you're not playing, are you allowed to be around the team? I don't know. James White's going to be a big loss in the locker room as well. Mac Jones loses a leader, loses a security blanket, loses a running back, loses a leader. None of those are good things for the Patriots. So, Pats are going to have to find a way. Ramondre Stevenson may have to be, uh, you know, done being banished from exile here as he's been inactive the last two games, but... J.J. Taylor, Brandon Bolden, Ramondre Stevenson, that rushing attack, that running back room, not as deep as it was a couple of weeks ago when we thought the Pats were going to be able to just out-physical everybody, and they haven't been able to do that. All right, that was Unpacking the Patriots. 28-13 loss for the Pats. They're now 1-2 and two as Tom Brady gets set to come to town. When we come back, a local story that gained traction over the weekend. We don't know what's true and what's not. But if this story is true, it's a giant problem. That's next right here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. This story that came out of the high school ranks here in Vermont this weekend Gained a lot of traffic. A high school soccer game now the focus of an investigation over racist behavior after Winooski High School players said they had slurs directed at them by Enosburg players and Enosburg fans. So um, you can find the story at WCAX, but Winooski players say that they were called words like the N-word, monkey, and terrorist. Um, Winooski has a lot of players of color and a lot of players that are new Americans on their team. Look, we don't know what's true exactly and what's not. There is an update to this story now from seven days that the VPA is not investigating the allegations of racial slurs 
Instead, they're considering a season-long ban for a Winooski player who allegedly headbutted an Enosburg player during the game in question. There is video evidence of that, reportedly. Everything about this story stinks. And I wasn't there, so I'm not here to pontificate and try to guess as to what happened. I can tell you that having played high school athletics, high school athletics get heated. They get contested. They can get nasty, and rivalries, especially in physical sports. I know we laugh at soccer not being a physical sport, but in a contact sport, it can get particularly heated at the high school ranks. That does not excuse anyone's behavior. If anyone was using racial slurs, that is disgusting. And if I were the coach at Enosburg and I had these allegations levied against me, my team would be running until they threw up the next day. Okay, until somebody copped to it, my team would not stop running. We would not even pick up a ball for the entirety of the next practice. Because do I know that it happened? No. Do I believe that it could have happened? Yes. I know the the world that we live in, and I know the temperament of high school boys. I believe that it could have happened. And my team, if I were Enosburg, would be running the entirety of the next day until somebody copped to it. And I hope that Enosburg takes these allegations seriously. And I hope if they are true, then I hope that players are suspended. Do they need to be kicked out of school for it? I would say no. I think that young people can be taught properly and better and educated and, you know, reformed, but they don't deserve to play right away. If I were Enosburg, I hope they're taking this seriously. As for the Winooski player who allegedly uh, headbutted the Enosburg player in retaliation for other things that were happening, I would say the same thing about that player. They don't need to be banned for the entirety of the season, but you can't be doing that either. Physical violence is not something that should be tolerated through the VPA or through the Vermont High School Athletic Association. Um, It's a terrible story all the way around. If it happened and the racial slurs were uttered, disgusting. As for the separate but also awful violent act committed on film by the Enosburg or by the uh, Winooski player, also poor judgment and needs to come with a consequence. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. We'll take you through from 7 until 9, and then there's ESPN Radio and the WCAX News at 11. So we're back at it again tomorrow with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. He will be with me as he always is on a Tuesday. We'll talk more about the Patriots. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. We will see you tomorrow on WDEV.